We welcome all who come to St. Anne's today, and in particular to those who join us by way of live stream for our Sunday Mass, and to so many visitors that are coming to our nation's capital for Thanksgiving week. Welcome to one of them and all. This is the King of the Jews. I-N-R-I. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Iureorum. The King of the Jews. Jesus the Naz Nazarene, the King of the Jews, put there explicitly by Pilate. For all the world to mock. That's your king. Look at him. They sneered at him. If you are the king, if you truly are the Messiah, you can save yourself. Come down from that cross. Show your power. Show your might and rule as a godly king. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Iureorum. Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. The trappings of kingship, monarchy, the throne, all those things may not be relevant to us as Americans. In particular, we fled Europe for the most part, and people have come to this land seeking freedom from monarchies, in particular the abuses of tyrants, monarchies. And so we came here to a land to establish not a kingdom, but some colonies and eventually a democratic republic. And one of the first things that they wanted to do for George Washington, as you know, was to paint portraits of him in a Roman toga, laurel wreath, crown, scepter, to show that he was, in a sense, now a royal. That we had earned our freedom and that we were now our own independent nation. And the understanding was that which should be a kingdom, a sovereignty of that sort. And Washington said, no, no, we'll have nothing of that. I will be first among citizens and dress as a gentleman of the state. So when it comes to a feast like this of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, it may be difficult for us to understand just what the church is intending us to, to do today as we celebrate this solemnity. And just to note its history briefly, that it was about 1925, after the Second World, First World War, that Pope Benedict XV established this feast because by then, most of the great monarchies of Europe and the world had come basically to an end. United Kingdom being the only one really left of any power. Italy had failed, France had 
failed, and now there really were no more monarchies to speak of with any power. Eventually Spain would go, Mexico, South America, all those kingdoms were falling apart, even Italy, all the kingdoms. And Benedict wanted to let the world know there is one kingdom that will never end, and one king that will never end, Jesus. Now our Lord says, my kingdom is not of this world. That's why it is eternal, because it's not a sovereignty of any place. It is the glory of heaven. My kingdom is always in breaking on the world, but it can never be identified with the world. And all the trappings of kingship, well, they're different when it comes to this king. Because on a cross, that's his throne. And he bears a crown of thorns. And for his toga, for his garments, he wears a rag around his waist. So for Catholics in particular, we don't take the image of the crucified Jesus off the cross. We call that image a crucifix because there was placed the body of Christ in his glory. This is something the world will never understand and that's why they don't get the kingdom of God as Jesus proclaimed it. And we've had the benefit of 2,000 years under our belts to learn what our Lord has been trying to tell us over and over and over again that your sovereignty is not in this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Which drove the Jews at his time absolutely ballistic because they were anticipating the revival of the kingdom of David. A military might, an economic prosperity the likes of which you would never see. Beautiful peace and all of their adversaries, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, Persians, Syrians, all put under their feet. Jews would rule the world forever out of Jerusalem, the capital of the kingdom of God. Christ says, no, sorry. Now this is very delusional. Uh, this was very difficult for the apostles, especially Judas. Judas in particular, as you know, was an Iscariot from the Sicarii family. They were revolutionaries. They were known to go into crowds and to stir things up with knives and create riots. Judas has a very, very interesting political advantage here. He wants a kingdom of God on earth. It's gonna be filled with a lot of money, which is why he was the bursar. So our Lord says, no, no, look at me on a cross. That's my throne. The cross is my scepter, and my crown is thorns, and my robes, basically poverty, humility. This is your king. This is why they sneered at him. This is why the world will never really understand how Jesus can be a king, because he doesn't have all the trappings 
of what we associate with monarchy. It's interesting as a footnote that when King Charles is crowned in May of next year in London, the question will be whether or not he puts aside one of the most ancient rites of coronation, and that is the anointing rite. Elizabeth, his mother, was anointed. All kings and queens for centuries were anointed with oil, sacred chrism, to show their priestly role, their kingly and priestly role. It's going to be very interesting whether Charles chooses not to observe that right, to somehow slowly but surely divest the trappings of the past centuries and make it more simple. But in Jesus, he is anointed. Kings were anointed. So when was Jesus anointed? At his death. They anointed his body. They anointed him with oil. So in his passion and death, Christ shows his glory as a king. Again, this doesn't make any sense to non-believers. But our Lord was never more powerful than when he hanged there on a cross to save us from sin. See, no king can do that. No queen can do that. No monarchy, no leader can free you from sin. That's unique to Christ. Anointed king. That's his unique gift for all the world, eternally, for all religions, for all races, for the living, for the dead, the past, the present, the future. Friends, we get caught up in the mass, which is once again the reenactment, the representation of his life, death, and resurrection. No tyrant, no leader, no monarch, no one has that power. The Democrats don't have this power. The Republicans don't have this power. The President, the Supreme Court, no power on earth has what the mass, because of Jesus, a king, can provide his people. And you know what? It's free of charge. You don't have to pay for it. There's no tax. Oh, there's no tax, but there is representation. Actually, re-presentation of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's all free. It's all a gift. So when we think about kingship, we think about words like sovereignty, allegiance, and duty, among other things. Majesty, service, royal court. Those are the things we associate with that sense. So the question then on a feast like today is, who or what has sovereignty over you? To whom or to what have you placed your allegiance? And what is your duty? Now, I think the duty piece is the answer to everything else. And what's interesting about the Mass 
is that every preface before the Eucharistic prayer begins, we give you thanks and praise, Almighty God. It is our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, always and everywhere, our duty to give you thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our number one duty as Christians is to give thanks. That's what the Mass is saying. Eucharistia, Eucharist means thanks. How appropriate that as we approach Thanksgiving nationally, that we remember that the root of this is the thanks we owe God. First, our sovereign, to whom we owe the allegiance and our duty of praise and worship in thanks. So let's keep that in mind as we move through this week and in Thanksgiving for all the blessings we have received, most especially the blessing of this King who reigns over us with love, peace, truth, life, hope, faith, charity, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts that this King lavishly bestows upon his people forever in this world and in the life to come.